As you heard, Pastor Jay, my name is Chris. I am the small groups pastor. Um, I was a little scared, though, when he did pray just temporarily. I'm not sure what that meant. <laughs> he knows something that I do not know. So for now, it is a blessing to be the small groups pastor here. No, so... Hey, so, uh, you know, something that is a really neat blessing is that, you know, with Pastor Mike and knowing his father knew the Lord, it is a celebration. It is hard to hear when you know uh, when someone has, has uh, gone to be with the Lord, but we also know when they have met Jesus and said, my good and faithful servant. That is a lasting legacy. Pastor Mike, uh, this week when he posted on Facebook to kind of announce to uh, to everyone that uh, what had happened with his father, there's a, there's a word that he used, and he used the word legacy. And I thought it was powerful because when he referred to his father, he referred to him as the, the legacy he had left. And when we think about the power of that, the power of a legacy and what we leave, um, it can impact us, and it has impacted. I mean, a father that has preached for 50 years, that's incredible. That is faithful, and that is God using a man in that season. And not only that, but also seeing his son take that place and continue to preach and love the Lord and love Jesus. It is truly a celebration. And today, it's interesting, and I I found it interesting when I started kind of reading the passages and getting ready for this morning and going, all right, God, uh, it it lent itself to say we are going to be talking about a lasting legacy. And so I thought about it for a moment saying, how do I introduce a lasting legacy? And there's something that reminded me of a lasting legacy. And when I show it to you, um, I want you to be prepared for it because when you would pass in a garage sale and you saw it kind of like laid out with everything, you kind of laugh at it. You may not even buy it. You may say, I'd buy that for firewood. Uh, But to me, it represents something uh, incredible of a lasting legacy of someone that, of, of a couple that had poured into my life. And I'm gonna show it to you. Try not to laugh, but uh, here we go. Anybody not want to guess what this is? It's hard. It's a bunny. I know. I know. It's a, it's a wooden bunny, and it's a, it's a wooden bunny that I actually crafted in wood shop in middle school uh, probably about 30 years ago. And I don't know about you, uh, but I was still surprised that they actually let us cut with bandsaws and stuff and drill presses to get it to like this. Uh, but it was something that was interesting. And, when, and, um, and what I did was once I made it, I decided to go ahead and give it to my grandparents. Because they, one, they were the people that had kind of poured into my life alongside of the old ashtrays, now candy dishes that we would make. You know, you kind of give them because we had no money, uh, you know, at the time to buy them stuff. So I would give them the things that I would make. But one of the things that they would do for me is that they would just begin to start pouring into my life. My grandparents were such a significant part of my upbringing. When my parents would go to work, you know, they would, uh, when I was sick, you know, first thing they'd do, they're going to drop me off over at grandma and grandpa's house. And first thing grandma would do during lunchtime is she'd, she'd open up the can of chunky sirloin burger. And she would pour it in, heat it up, cut some cheese, crackers, and then give me a Mountain Dew. They got me addicted to Mountain Dew, guys. Uh, It was either Mountain Dew or Tab. And so I decided to go with Mountain Dew uh, during that time. But what it was is that they continued to pour into my life. They they own this one-acre property down in San Diego, which is like a... Very, very hard to find these days. But what they would teach me is when I wanted to make some money, saying, hey, go work out in the yard. And so I would trim. I'd have these bushes, and I would call them different things. I had this one thing called 
the stairway to the stars because I would kind of make it look like a step and building topiaries and mowing without a, a riding lawnmower. I had to do a push mower, you know, in the wintertime when the grass was like this big and you had to learn how to tilt it up and just kind of walk as you're going across for one acre to try to do that on their property. My grandpa also taught me how to maintain vehicles. And what he would do with those is he had this little, yeah, and I, I can't remember the name of the book, but we'd have it in his glove compartment. And every time he would pull into a gas station, he would write the mileage. He would write down, you know, how much he put in, how many gallons, what he paid for. And, um, and I'm trying to think of, like, he was retired. There was no, there was no write-offs, I, but he just wanted to maintain. And he taught me how to maintain, saying, okay, at this point, this is when you need to do your oil change. Hey, at this point, this is when you need to bring it into the shop. And he really started teaching me the value of how to maintain a vehicle. The other thing that my grandparents did is they, they taught me how to hold on to a marriage. They had been married for over 50 years in their life. And one of the things that I, I didn't recognize until later on of how much it impacted me, but, you know, they had lost a daughter when she was a teenager. And who knew that, like, about maybe 15 years later, they would have a grandson that would lose their child, and that would be me. And, and, and really experiencing what God did and how to have a lasting marriage even in the midst of grieving. My grandparents would also teach me uh, just the art of just, just learning how to be with one another. And we would walk into, I would walk into the house and I would see their dining room table. And this is what I would see. I would see my grandma and grandpa. Uh, one, they taught me how to play solitaire, you know, with cars. And they would always be playing a game of solitaire. But they also taught me how to play this game called gin rummy. And gin rummy was this really cool game because what my grandparents would do is they'd have this, these little binder notebooks and they would keep score. Who won, right? It would be this running score. And no lie, I think for 50 years they played gin rummy because when they had passed, we'd open up the cabinet and they had all of these like binders of who the running score was, right? And just keep on playing and playing and playing. And, and I think at the end, I think my grandma was the winner at the end of that gin rummy score. So when I look at this bunny, I look at it as going, this is a family that had taught me a legacy of what to do and how to live and how to live my life and how to love one each other and how to love my wife. And I put it right next to this, these pile of stones, which some people have asked me in the last couple of services, like, what are those for? And I would tell them and saying, well, in case I run too long, you have the option of picking one of these up and just huck it at me, all right? So, so I'm giving an option right now, but I'm pretty good at ducking just in case that happens. But just know there's a pile of stones. No, what it is is that we have been in Joshua, and we've been in a series called Fearless, Facing Our Future. And man, I think God's word is time. His timing is impeccable. Because I think not only now, as Pastor Mike has been preaching and as I get the opportunity to preach this, there's a moment that as we're going through life, God is challenging each one of us. He says, I need you to be fearless in facing your future. Why? It's because there's a certainty that when we have a relationship with God, that we can walk into anything and know that he is going to do what he does best. Amen? There's a passage of scripture that Pastor Mike has challenged every single one, and I'm just going to ask various people to step up and stand up and give us that verse. No. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and do it. Did anybody's heart just start palpitating like, oh, my gosh. If there's any, like, a wanted people who are like, I memorized that years ago. Uh, but it's Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And this verse says, 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You see, what God was beginning to do in Joshua's life, he was reminding him that says, listen, I know that you have just crossed over the River Jordan, and not only that, it was on dry ground again. And God needed to remind Joshua of that because guess what? One, he needed to know that God was commanding him to go ahead and continue to do that. Two, the reason why he needed to be encouraged to be strong is because I'm sure that he was feeling weak. The reason why he needed to be courageous is because he was also feeling like discouraged and going, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know enough of how to follow you. He also reminded him to not be terrified. Why? It's probably he was terrified. He reminded him to not be discouraged. And what happens is that then he had to remind him that I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And that's what happened when Pastor Mike described out of Joshua chapter, 20, uh, chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, we read about these stones and what were they supposed to do as they crossed over the Jordan. And this is what the reminder was. And this is a reminder from last week's passage. It said this, he said to the Israelites, this is God saying to the Israelite people, in the future, when your descendants, descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? This is what I want you to tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did, at the, did to the Jordan what he had also done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And then verse 24, it says this, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. And so what happens right then and there is God is simply saying, these stones are to be a reminder you see, most of us, we probably pass these up in landscaping around Tracy, right? You see landscaping, you're going, man, where do these stones come from? We pass them up, but what God saw was, hey, hey, pile them up. Get 12 of them. Each one represents each tribe of Israel. And what I want you to do is when your kids see this and they ask, mom, dad, why is there a pile of stones right next to the river? He's saying, I need you to remind, remind them of what we did in the Red Sea, what I did in the Red Sea. Remind them what I did here in the Jordan. And there's something very powerful about remembering. There's something very powerful about sharing moments of impact that God has had on our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. We're going to be talking about how we can be a part of a lasting legacy. The very first thing we need to do is we need to look at those leaving a legacy. We need to look at those and say, how are other people doing it? What are some of the wins and what are some of the failures? Because what we begin to start doing is we start observing what happens. And it's going to pick up in Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 8 here. And chapter 5, again, this is they have already crossed over the Jordan, and now God is reassuring them what he has done. And in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, it says this, Now, when all of the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard 
how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until he had crossed over, it says this, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. I'm gonna just pause there for a second before we continue reading and I want us to just acknowledge something really quick and that is legacy has ears. Legacy has ears. What do I mean by that? Well, the very first thing is that we have to recognize is that one is that the Israelites, one, they're exhausted. These people are grieving. They have lost their parents. They have lost the people that they have known all of their lives in a place of wandering. And I'm sure they're exhausted. And that's why God had to remind them of who he was in the midst of that. But also what we also have to recognize is that in the middle of this battle, God, it says that as people were hearing that Israelites people now are across on their side of the river. And because they were on that side of the river, all they kept on hearing was, remember the stories of the Red Sea, but now he's doing it again in the Jordan. And so the first challenge that they are hearing is going, well, wait a second, all those people died. when He, he destroyed the Egyptian army. Pharaoh, everyone, who are we? And so it says that he melted their hearts with fear. And that sometimes we need to recognize here this morning is that there are some things that maybe we're trying to create a legacy for ourselves. And that we're trying to do work hard. We're kind of trying to establish things. We're trying to say, hey, if I work harder, if I earn more, if I do whatever it takes, I'm going to impact as many people as possible. And what God is saying just in this quick little verse is this. I'm in charge. And in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your fears, I'm going to begin to start spreading who you are because you follow me. They didn't need to fight. Those kings described as giants on the other side into the promised land were afraid just simply by what God had done in their lives in that moment. And we need to realize that when we see a pile of stones, we need to recognize that God can use rocks to help us remember. And it doesn't need to be big things in our lives. Let's continue going. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, this is where it gets a little interesting here, guys. I'm just warning you right now. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Right now, your kids are doing an art project right now in the children's ministry, so be ready for that. No, I'm just kidding. And so <laughs> that would be interesting right there, right? It says, at the time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. When I stopped and read that for a second, I'm glad I kept on going. But I looked at him and said, again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Araloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came up out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way, uh, on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. 
For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not, that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised, and I want you to, we're going to camp, we're going to stop there for a moment, but they were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there where they camped until they were healed. And I'm just going to stop there for a second because it is super important to understand that distractions can create pain in legacy. Distractions can create pain in legacy. I want us to kind of understand, first of all, the importance of circumcision. I promised people that I was not going to give any video or picture illustrations of this. But it was super important to understand, and you can write this down in your notes. It's not, it's not in there. But in Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 14, you get the introduction of why it was so important. You see, he had Abraham, who was considered the father of the Israelites, that what happened between him and God, he said, listen, I want you to get circumcised and all the people who are referred to as mine to go and be circumcised. And that is going to be how you are distinguished between my people and everyone else. Everyone in your home, everyone. And from that point forward, from generations to come, so that you can see that my promise is going to, be ha- is going to happen in your life. And so Abraham did it and those after him. And those leaving Egypt go into the desert. But what happens is this. And this is the hard part, guys. And this is the hard part when, when you realize of how close it hits home. Is in the middle, while they're in the desert, and they begin to start complaining. And we start asking, why in the world would they not continue keeping that covenant going? What I wanted to do is as I started researching this, there was people that kind of had a bunch of different views and there were some scholars that said this. There's some that said, well, because they were separated from everyone, so that means when they were wandering in the desert alone, they had no need to circumcise their kids because they knew that they were all part of the same tribe. But then that would negate the covenant that God gave to Moses in Genesis chapter 17. Some says, well, they're not obligated because it wasn't until they get to the promised land that they had to do that. Well, that would also kind of go against what just happened in Genesis chapter 17 as he was reminding them. Other people said, well, it wasn't written in the Ten Commandments, so then he doesn't have to do it that way. Other people gave reasons like, well, you know something, for 40 years, they were probably just wandering in the desert and they never had time. Have you ever been in the desert? All you have is time (laughs) sitting there. In the summertime, it feels like Tracy sometimes. Hot. But what happens is, is that there would be just excuses of like, well, they needed time to heal and they were traveling so they couldn't do it. But when I look at the text and I read the scriptures, what I start realizing is that they were complaining a lot. We're hungry. We're thirsty. God, why? It would have been better back in Egypt. And what began to start realizing is that they were getting angry. Can you guys say angry with me? Okay. That's not how you would sound if you were angry though, right? Now say it a little bit with more unction because when you're angry, it sounds more like 
thank you. That is awesome. You're right, because what happens when you get angry, there's a time when your focus becomes just so streamlined, when now you're going, ah, I don't see everything else. And the Israelites, as they're going through the desert, they're angry. Why would God do this to us? Why now? We did the covenant. We were all circumcised. We were supposed to be your people. I'm hungry, God. I'll provide some bread. I want some meat, God. How about some quail? Too much meat, God. I'm going to give you more quail. Stop complaining. And what begins to happen is that his people begin to start complaining, but the one thing that they missed was what? They didn't circumcise their kids. And now they had to do it as adults. You see, the, what was supposed to be that eight days after a child was born, they were supposed to be circumcised. And now you're talking to battling men who now had to step up and go, this is painful. But this is, if this is what God requires of me, that this is what I'm going to do. And I want us to think about that for a moment. We're not going to talk about circumcision. What we're going to talk about, though, is our own life and saying, if God asks you to go through something painful, are you willing? Are you willing when he says, listen, in order to follow me, you must stop doing this and go and do this? Whether it's a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, or whether it's a job transition, or whether it's something you're going, God, I do not want to go to my neighbors. I don't want to do what you're asking me. It's going to be painful. But God's saying, are you willing to follow me? What happens when we are in the deserts of our own lives? We need to ask a few questions. One of them is, what are we forgetting to do when we're in those deserts? There's something important that we also need to understand. We need to ask this question. What are we forgetting to teach? Something really hard lessons that I learned afterwards and when I'm able to have more conversations with my daughters was when we lost our son to cancer. The one thing that I learned later on was my daughters saw everything. They saw a mom and a dad grieve. They saw a mom and a dad and each other not know what to do. That all we could do was surrender and say, God, I trust you. You asked me to trust you. I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to say that I'm trusting you. But do I trust you? Am I trusting you when I feel like I am at the weakest point of my life? And what my daughter started to learn was this, is that we could do this, and we have a God that is much greater than us. And there's a third question that we have to ask and do we also, and do we have to understand is do we know that people are watching? Do we know that people are watching us grieve? And we would have so many people afterwards, years later, that would come to us and say, I just want to thank you for just continuing to love Jesus in the midst of your grieving because you helped us grieve. And we weren't trying to do it. We weren't trying to say, look at me grieve, church. We were just broken. I would have to apologize to people for crying after eight, actually during every message because they, I, my wife started making fun of me. This is how we got connected really well. She's like, you're going to be referred to as the weeping pastor. 
But I had someone come up to me afterwards because I apologized enough, and they just said, you need to stop apologizing. And what I started realizing is that I just need to be real with people. And God took me through eight years of plant church planting, seven years of church planting and a grieving church planter and just started realizing, man, God, people don't need the top of your game. They need you to just go, God, we need you. When Pastor Mike told us uh, last weekend, I, I sat down with him and, and he was telling me that his dad was entered into hospice. The first thing I remembered in my experience, I said, hey, Mike, if you need to grieve up there, you've got my permission. You're going to be okay. And on Wednesday, he texted and he says, hey, start doing some devotions in Joshua, but I think I might still preach on Sunday. And I just thought about that for a second. Here's this guy who is getting ready. On Thursday morning, I get a text and says, my dad has passed. And then he called me up to preach on Thursday morning. And I thought, though, here's this man that in the midst of his dad going through what he's doing, he was saying, I still love to preach. I still want to be there. But as a staff, we came together and said, you need to take the time just to grieve and be with your family. And what I also realized, though, was that you saw a man who saw his father preach for 50 years, in season, good seasons, bad seasons, but stay consistent. Now I see a man who was raised by that man who is staying consistent, is the most consistent man that I know in loving the Lord through highs and lows, and he just consistently does that. But the question is, is that do we realize that people are watching us whether we know it or not? And it's not to put pressure on you, because now you're going, well, does that mean I have to be a perfect Christian, Christ follower, right? What I'm saying is that no matter what you're going through, is just communicate it. Tell people what you're going through. Tell people saying, listen, I do not know how this happens. I don't know what to do, but I do know is that God is good. And we also have to realize is that these Israelites were taught this thing called the Shema. Can I say it with me? Ready? One, two, three. The Shema. What is the Shema? It was this thing that it was actually this saying of teaching them how to hear and obey. And out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, I'm going to read it to you because I want you to picture this is as they're going through everything that they're going through. And this is going through everything we are going through. This is God saying, if you keep this, you will know what to do, no matter in a high or a low. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. For some of you, you might be thinking, well, wait a second, that's in Matthew chapter 22, and Jesus was asked a very same question. Hey, tell us, what's one of the greatest commandments that we should follow? And he's like, love the Lord your God. Thousands of years later, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But it continues on in Deuteronomy. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And basically what he's saying is this. 
that there should not be a time that we think that we should not be leading and training and developing people because the very people that see us in the morning when we get up before coffee are often the families that know who we are. They see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the uglier sometimes. And the people that see us at the end of the night, they see the good, the bad, the ugly of what we've experienced. And they're looking at us and saying, my kids are looking at me and saying, what does dad do? What does dad do when he disagrees with something? What does dad do when he's hurting? What does dad do when he's angry? Does he say sorry? But the idea is this, is that God was teaching his people, saying, when you're going, no matter where you go, you need to teach people what that experience is and always love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with your strength. You see, we need to remind people in our lives the importance of loving God and loving one another. We need to remind people that there are people who probably have discipled us and that we need to begin to disciple others. I think of the person who saw me when I was just vacuuming a church floor and said, hey, I could use you as a junior high intern. And I'm thinking, all right, does it pay more than what I'm making now? <laughs> that wasn't the only thing, but yes, it actually got a little bit paid more, paid more to be an intern. I thought it was awesome. But that man poured into my life. He taught me how to preach. He taught me how to work alongside the students. He taught me how to lead a ministry. And when he left and I got to step into his place, God taught me how to learn how to just serve his people. And when I started to realize is that we need to begin to start realizing what we are doing and who's watching. And it's not to impress. It's not to think we're perfect. It's just to do it broken, do it in a way that God says, hey, I'm just trying to be as honest as possible, but we need to do it. Now, being a small group's pastor, I'm going to give a shameless plug. We also need to be reminded that this happens really well in the context of small groups. Because what happens in here, it's harder to get, you know, maybe a couple hundred people to say, yeah, I, I'm broken. Wait, you're broken too? I think it's important. But in small groups, you start doing life, Right? And in small groups, you start realizing, saying, hey, guys, I, I'm going through this. I want to share this with you right now. And then you have a group of people that can rally around you and pray and encourage you. But the majority of the time, our tendency is that we used to usually want to just walk away. But God is saying, listen, when you're walking and you're, and you're walking down and when you're getting up and when you're lying down, there's a super huge importance that as you are doing life, which is what the Great Commission says, is as you are going, you need to teach people how to follow me and make disciples. Distractions happen every day throughout our day, but we also need to have reminders throughout our day as well. The second way that we can learn how to have a lasting legacy, one is, again, is that we need to look at those leaving a legacy, but we also need to follow those living a legacy. This is incredible. 
You see, what happens is, is as we're observing people as what they're going through, we need to also begin to start following and saying, hey, so what do people go through when they are actually experiencing what God wants them to learn? And that's what's happening here, starting in verse 9. And it says this in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land and unleavened bread. And get this, roasted grain. Yes, something different. The manna stopped the day after they ate the food from the land. There was no longer manna from the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So when you begin to start seeing those who are following and living the, that are living the legacy, when we start seeing that, we get to experience a few things. One, we get to experience God's grace. Why do I say that? Well, one of the greatest things that we just saw right in the beginning was, he goes, today I rolled back the reproach of what happened from Egypt and throughout the desert. What God was reminding the Israelites is saying, even though for 40 years my people were angry at me, even though for 40 years they did not circumcise you to show that you were part of my people, even though for 40 years they were complaining, saying, all I get is bread, all I get is quail, all I get is water from a rock. It's not even filtered. <laughs> but what begins to happen is saying, I've rolled all that away. And you are my people. You guys realize that no matter where you are at in your life, if you feel that you have had a season of walking away, that God is still saying, I love you. Because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what he did. We need to start walking with people as living in grace. There's another thing that we get to do, is that we get to participate in the traditions that remind us of God's blessing. Well, what was that? It was the Passover. It says that they took, they, they, they do, every year they would remember the Passover. Well, what was the Passover? Well, what happened is in the Passover is that in Exodus chapter 12, it talked about that God was warning while they were in Egypt, the Israelite people, while they were in Egypt, he's saying, I need you to prepare for this. If you cannot afford a perfect lamb, I need you to combine and go with other people in their homes. But what I need you to do is I need you to slaughter a perfect lamb. And I need you to swipe its blood across the doorframe. And when I see this perfect sacrifice and the blood that is on the doorframe, I am going to pass over that home. But whoever doesn't have that, and this breaks me, that every firstborn is going to lose. They're going to lose every firstborn in every home that doesn't. Ask God that question, why? Why that? For all those who have lost a child, it hurts. But there's something that's correlated in the New Testament when you see our shepherd who lost his perfect, who lived a perfect life and sacrificed his blood for us. 
another thing that we do in celebrating, we, we do communion, right? We're not going to do it this week, but we're going to do it next week. But what happens is, is that when you have that cup that's supposed to re- represent blood, it's really grape juice, I just want to let you guys know that, and you've got the bread, and when we take it, we remember what Jesus did. Why? It's because we forget a lot, guys. We get distracted in our own lives. And what we need to do is when we take communion, we need to realize that, listen, when I take this bread, I recognize that his body was broken for me and his blood was a sacrifice. And I didn't remember that I'm not in charge and that he is. And when I take it, I submit my life and I surrender it. And I remember how good his love is for me, that he did that in spite of me. The other thing is they get to see God's blessings. And man, how cool is that? Man, they're eating now like roasted food. They're eating roasted grain. They're starting to now experience the land of milk and honey and all these huge, gigantic fruits. But I don't know about you. This is not in the text. I'm just kind of adding something to this here this morning. So don't blame me. Don't write me and say, hey, that was not in the text. But how many of you guys would say, man, it sure would be good to have some bread with this roasted grain today? How many of you guys would actually say, I need some quail to go along with this fruit because it would pair nicely? And what can happen is is that we start wanting God's old blessings combined with saying, hey, instead of just looking at the new blessings that he has for us, we start looking at some of the old stuff. And God starts reminding us that we need to begin to look at him and just be so thankful of what God did. Because you see, the manna stopped the moment they started eating from the land. It says that God took care of them. I forgot to mention in the other services, but there's this kind of this uh, saying in Israel when I got to take a chance to kind of, get, kind of tour Israel. And the, our tour guide kept on saying, he goes, yeah, this is the promised land. But one of the things that we say here is saying, yes, it was the promised land with the land flowing milk and honey, but we still have to till the soil. And what happens is we start realizing that we still got to work in our lives to do the things that for, for God's blessing, what he does for us. So we need to look at those leaving the legacy. We need to follow those living a legacy. And our last thing here this morning is this. We need to choose. You need to choose your legacy wisely. We're going to finish off reading verses 13 through 15 in Joshua chapter 5. It says this. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? His response was this, neither, he replied. But as a commander of the Lord, as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And I love Joshua's response. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked, what message does the Lord, does my Lord have for his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. How do we begin to choose a legacy wisely? The first thing with what we read from the text is because Joshua sees this commander 
of the army of the Lord. He actually doesn't recognize who he is. But the first thing he asks is what? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? The first thing we need to recognize when we choose, need to choose a legacy wisely is we need to stop creating sides. You see, Joshua already is saying, well, okay, if God's with me, I'm going to not be terrified. I'm not going to be strong. He walks up to him. So you kind of see that there's some courage stepping up. But what he also starts doing is he starts to say, well, now he's in charge instead of recognizing who actually was in charge, and it was God. Because he says, who are you for? And I love the response. And that was, and there was some controversy in the last couple of services. Is it neither or is it neither? For today's sake, we're going to say neither. But here's the hard part. In two days, we're going to go into some pretty big choices. And I think our society wants us to choose Is it this proposition? Is it that proposition? Is it this measure? Is it that measure? Is it this person? Is it that person? And not only is it do you have to choose, but not only that, if you choose this, you're against that. And if you choose that, you're against this. And if you choose him, you're against them. And all our society wants to do is saying, if you choose, you're not like me. But what God is saying is this, that there's a third option. And the third option is neither. You need to choose him, God. You see, what happens is that no matter what happens in measures and props and votes and anything that happens politically, God is still saying, I am sovereign. I am in charge. And we may fear saying, no, you don't understand, God. They're starting to do this against me. They're starting to do this. And God is saying, are you kidding me? I've been around forever. This is not my first rodeo. And I think Joshua recognizes that because his response really needs to be where our response is when we're asked to choose things. And when we're, true, when we're actually at a point where we're out of fear, his response is this, and I'm going to reread it to you as we wrap this up. Joshua's response was, he fell face down to the ground in, reference and, in reverence and asked, what message does the Lord have for his servant? That's hard to hear. Because when you fall face down, the majority of the time in our society, we think that that's a bad thing. Matter of fact, there's some terms. There's probably many more than these couple that I'm going to read here. But we often think of that as a bad thing. So when I say rock, what do you think of? Bottom. That person has hit rock bottom. When you hear maybe you're just waiting for the bottom to do what? Drop out that we often think that when someone is at their lowest point, that now they're at their weakest point, that now they're at that point where you're like, I wouldn't want to follow that person, or hey, that person's not even worthy for my attention. But what Joshua does is that very thing. Not only does he drop, 
But he does is he gets on his face, and this gets a little awkward on a Sunday morning. Hopefully I can get up. (laughs) But he does this. One, it's intimidating looking at your faces from the stage here. But the reality is this. He's saying, what message does the Lord have for me? Have you done this before? Have you gotten to a point in your life where you realize, I've done it all, and yet I'm still incomplete. What I'm going through right now, I feel I need to just, you want to quit. You want to surrender. But have you asked the question from your face and saying, what message does the Lord want me to have? You see, as Christ followers, we struggle. And there's probably 200 different testimonies with 200 different people here this morning. And what God is asking us is saying, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to be doing that? And God's saying, neither. He's saying, do you trust me? He's reminding us this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I want to encourage you, church, whatever you're facing here this morning, you have to know. You have to start surrendering it to God. Because when you start taking it back, you do like what I do. You mess it up. But here's the cool part. When you see what I see from up here is I see a bunch of messed up people. It's okay. (laughs) I'm up here with you. But I see a bunch of messed up people who are trying to figure out how to follow a perfect God who loves them. And you're trying to go, God, how can you even love me? And he tells you, I sent my son Jesus down to die for me. It's not about your performance. It's not about the people next to your performance. It's about simply remembering a legacy that people thousands of years ago did for you. And realize that there's people who are following you who maybe thousands of years from now are going to say there was this time when my great, 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 great grandfathers did this. That he chose to surrender his life and fall face down and say, God, what message do you have for me today? Let's pray.